Welcome to the new healthcare economy where everyone wins for a change. Employers, consumers, primary care physicians, outcomes, shareholders, even our communities all win with costs dropping 20 to 60%. This unstoppable direct contracting movement bypasses the big middles with their crooked game boards, devious rule book, rigged dice, and purchased referees. I'm Rob Barshop, and I'm glad you're here. is being consumed by employers and feds via CMS quite a different way than it was 10 to 20 years ago, and in a way that might be the very savior of primary care and even healthcare by extension, because employers woke up in the last 20 years, and now two-thirds of all the 151 million Americans that work for companies work for companies that self-insure versus under half two decades ago, and the self-insured companies have been redefined by thought leaders like today's guest. So many have fired the bukas, the bigs had to treasure hunt growth in other pastures. The only part of the bigs' core business growing is their Medicare Advantage, your Part D if you're a senior. It's 80 to 90% of the six largest carriers' core growth this past decade, again, in the core business. So it's been federal, not employers, that have been growing the insurance company part of it. The ancillaries are a big other golden field of dreams for the shareholders in the suits. The six PBMs they have, under their control is 95% of that space. The five GPOs that they own is 80% of that space. And that's the hospital purchasing relying on 80% of everything they buy for these giant GPOs that are owned by the insurance companies. In fact, they own every legitimate corner of healthcare, but those two PBMs and GPOs tell the story. Gone are the days when a surgeon scalpel or joint replacement and I'm sure today's guest has something interesting to say about the vast rainbow of GPOs out there since they're good ones and there's bad ones. The big point is United, Aetna, Humana, and the Blues only grow with silver hairs and ancillaries, and Cigna also bound themselves to CVS the past 10 years. So they're not growing their core business with employers. Employers woke up. So the bigs have tried a new tack. They aggressively buy up primary care. Over half of all the PCPs are owned by bigs. 90 days ago, most of the big six announced that they're going live and national with virtual primary care, which is a serious conflict of interest. How is that a conflict of interest? Well, the more we use it, the more we're built. And they are incented then to steer us into these high-priced places of service rather than the very best surgeons, the best specialists, the best imaging, and the best labs. It's a tug of war for patient steerage into quality versus factory medicine meat grinder. So... It's just more tired volume over value. It's the same mantra as most big hospital systems who aggressively have been buying up the PCPs and other specialists because they want to steer three high margin O's into their heads and beds. The three O's are ortho, obstetrics, and oncology. An HCA senior acquisition guy taught me those three O's. And primary care would be a fourth O, but there's no O in those two words. So I led with the awakening of employers who created a new force that just might fix healthcare. Private equity is diving into primary care in a big way for a great new model that has seven winners. Direct contracts with employers, no surprise there if you're a listener to this show. And it all started with DPC, which had to scale to meet these larger employers' needs. So let's break up two tactics the employers are using to buy primary care these days that has shifted so much 
really in the last 10 to 20 years. Remember, 76% of all privately insured employers take on the risk themselves and to protect themselves from like a cancer or a car accident or a scary catastrophic, they have what's called a stop loss or catastrophic insurance wrapper to protect on that downside. That's two thirds of all the workers in the trend. The two tactics of self-insured space are these two, direct contracting in healthcare where middles like the insurers and their PBMs are sidestepped in part or in whole. So big hospitals are certainly in network, but consumers are steered to lower cost, higher quality value places of service, not necessarily owned by those bigs, which avoids sometimes two to three times markup and sometimes a lot more, but nothing in return. And more primary care with DPC results in less admissions, lower stays, lower ER use for these pricey hospitals. An older cousin to direct contracting, the second piece I was gonna talk about is reference-based pricing, which is pre-negotiating all the major costs. And today's guest is a real pro here. So the cost of labor and delivery, the cost of any surgery, knees, backs, hips, diabetes care, in fact, any procedures you can imagine, any admission to a hospital or any clinic, all exams with clinicians, that includes labs and tests are all negotiated ahead of time. A trend in reference-based pricing is companies like today's guest and Walmart and they'll choose centers of excellence like Mayo or Cleveland Clinic or MD Anderson for say cancer care or other specialty care. But all have pricing worked out in trade for steered volume. So it's a new game and the employer is now a market maker versus a market taker. So here's what we need in quality, here's what we need in, and we will pay and that's a market maker talking. Like any other consumer in America, employers have been now fully awake that especially with over 500 employees and the smaller guys are catching up but they're still way behind the larger employers. They don't think they can play on the ball here and they actually can and today's guests will prove it. So that's the new buyer primary care. Employers are going direct and they're going with reference-based pricing models or they're going both. It's a messy transition if you're an employer, but for the members, the consumer, it changes everything for us. In fact, I've echoed on most of these shows, direct contracts, creates seven winners, the employer, the consumer, the clinician, the doctor and nurse, the shareholder of the company, the community, and then costs drop 20 to 60% and outcomes improve. So that's seven winners, all measurable. Metrics can bear these out. It's a future where we all can win. Two of my guests, Clinton Phillip and Medici had 13 million virtual primary care patients, mostly Fortune 100s. Jamie Doucette with Premise Health, another guest, had 11 million direct primary care patients. So that's 24 million right there with just two companies alone that are direct care leaders. You add in guests like Everside with the states of Colorado and New Jersey as clients, Crossover Health with Facebook and Google and Amazon and Intuit and LinkedIn as clients, 98.6 with Walmart as a client. And you're quickly at 30 million and that's just a guest on our show. We also are going to invite one medical who has Apple as a client. Teladoc 360 just signed up 11 Fortune 100s with their new model of virtual primary care. And so we're gonna be way past 30 million when we do the full count, but we, nobody knows because there's literally no association that counts this. And direct primary care offered in these private equity backed companies is redefining itself often to now include mental health and increasingly occupational health with Cairo and PT. So direct contracts are leading to free healthcare for consumers. How is that? Well, we'll talk about that in a second, but it's a very exciting idea, way better than any other broken idea like Medicare for all that the politicians seem to circle around like vultures. 
because Medicare is broken a few short years without more payroll taxes. So we really want Medicare for all. So how do you get free healthcare? If an employer is saving 20 to 60%, depending on how much of this uh, strategy they adopt, it can all drop to the bottom line. They can also use that dividend, that 20 to 60% to buy a company jet. I know of one or two companies that have done that. They can use that dividend and pass it on in the way of bonuses to shareholders or to employer C-suite. I know that too is kind of common. Or they can be even a little bit nobler and do all of the above, again, when they fully adopt these plans. Rosen Hotels is famously invested in the poorest school district that surrounds their hotel with guaranteed full boat college to anywhere and they also offer free care too to their employees. They removed employee premiums, deductibles, and only have a $5 copay for anything that you want to do in healthcare or even their gym. That's the big idea that CFOs and HR leaders are waking up to in the tight labor market is free healthcare is the mother of all attraction, engagement, and retention tools. It was for me and my team. And when everybody gets de facto raises by skipping premium, economic ripple effect in a community spend goes up like it's a giant tax refund. So it's over $100 million locally, the ripple effect, if you only have 2,000 people that have now eliminated deductibles, premiums, and copay. That new normal will become steering only to a center of excellence. So feasibly, if you're only steering to centers of excellence and everybody's jumping on this bandwagon, well, the ecosystem is now forced by the buyer, the employer, into universal excellence now, isn't it? I'm super excited to introduce you to today's guest because he is a thought leader. He's a keynoter on this very subject. And Peter Hayes is the president and CEO of the Healthcare Purchaser Alliance of Maine. And he's led innovative health and wellness solutions initially at Hannaford Supermarkets, which today has 20,000 employees, pretty big for Maine. So he's often a keynote speaker, as I said, and is considered a thought leader with strategic innovative benefit design the past quarter century, and he's received numerous national awards thanks to an unflagging commitment to high-quality, efficient care, value over volume. Two different Maine governors have asked Peter to serve healthcare reform commissions to recommend public policy improvements and affordability for the 1.3 million citizens. Welcome, Peter, to the show. Glad to be here this afternoon. Yes. Well, you've been on the front row for a quarter century now watching this evolve. You've watched the most important of American healthcare wake up to their power. How is that view from 10,000 feet as you've watched it over 25 years? Um, like a, like slow motion, forward motion. I mean, it's, you know, it's baby steps, it's been moving, but unfortunately I think it's really reached this, this unsustainable spot where, and it's really kind of the last gaps that, that purchasers are really starting to realize that they need to use the same sort of financial principles they use for every other corner of their business and every other business item, line item on their you know, balance sheet operating statement, they need to get engaged and really start asking questions about what it is they are spending their money on. And I'm most excited, the most, I think healthcare is going to change more in the next 18 to 24 months than it has in the last two decades. There's just a perfect storm of events that are coming together that are really forcing purchasers to actually take notice. And, and the most, most important piece is the Consolidated Appropriations Act that really is making it a plan sponsor has financial fiduciary responsibility now, just like they do in the retirement fund plans, 
they need to make sure that they're spending their dollars on behalf of their employees and, and they're paying fair and reasonable prices for all aspects of healthcare, from brokers to consultants to health systems to providers for prescription drugs. I think that's going to really change the dynamics going forward. You know, if you look at the CAA, I think one of the most pivot, important pivot points of it is brokers now have to disclose their fees. And I've had brokers that can't talk on my show about this, but they'll tell me privately, they have a 17 undisclosed fees built into their arrangements. And most employers have no clue. Yeah, I mean, actually, yeah, really good. It's going to be really interesting. There's a school district in Florida that was with a national consultant who they thought they had signed an agreement with the consultant that their maximum compensation was going to be, pick a number, but it was approximately $200,000. They found out that actually the total compensation that consultant got from their book of business was in the millions. And it is a pending litigation now that is going to really change and actually effective January 1, 23, brokers are going to have, they are supposedly obligated to disclose to their client all their revenue flows are getting from all of the products they place. That's going to be you know, a game changer going forward. This is going to be the Full Employment Act for class action lawsuits and ERISA attorneys, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. But, you know, it's going to be, it's sort of like, it was the same thing that happened in the, in the retirement industry. The, the first major case that comes in an award is made to those that are bringing, you know, action against the plan sponsor, it is going to change the market overnight. So I, I think we're really on the cusp of that. That's why I say I think the next, the next 18 to 24 months are going to be interesting. Yes. Are most of the employers in your alliance fully aware and awake? To what that means on their shoulders? Yeah, some of them are, and some of them are getting very nervous. They, you know, for instance, the, the first step of this was the hospital pricing transparency were effective, you know, January 1 of last year. Um, hospitals were supposed to disclose their cash price and all the prices the different health plans were paying for 300 shoppable services. And I still think, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a significant number of hospitals that aren't reporting. And what it has shown in one case, there's, there's actually um, an entity that's tracking this, that 70% of the time on these cash prices, the, the prices that are being disclosed, about 70% of the time, the cash prices that patients could pay are significantly less than what the health plans, the BUCA plans that you mentioned, are paying, which really is going to be, you know, a lot of our plan sponsors are looking at that and saying, why are we paying network lease fees to the Bucas? Why are we paying, as you had said at the top of the show, two to three to four times more than what a patient could pay in cash? In many cases, patients are better off paying cash than using their insurance card. And that's, that's really going to create some interesting dialogue. Every plan sponsor now becomes a Ukrainian pilot shooting down six MIGs, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Before we get in, again, I, I want to get into what you do every day, but let's talk about the winners and losers since we have a hard stop. Yeah. The, it seems to me that obviously the employer is a winner because their second largest cost goes down. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, I think 
you know, the Wall Street Journal did an article that said 95% of wage stagnation in the last decades have been caused by just the rapid increase in health costs. So for employers, you know, not only do they have an opportunity, as you suggested, to reduce their costs, but more importantly, they can take some of those savings that, that is eating their employees' paychecks and put them back into other benefits that employees are asking for. And you mentioned it at the top, there's COVID has really illustrated the real, you know, real gaps we have in mental health providers in care, gaps in childcare, a bunch of other things. So it really gives the employers an ability to really enrich their offerings because going forward, certainly in these in this market we're in right now, attention and retraction of employees is becoming a huge issue. They're in our marketplace, there are restaurants that aren't opening because they can't get employees to work. So they win by being able to re-divert those dollars to things that add a lot more value to their business equation and to, into their employees and families that, that they're supporting. Let's talk about how the employees are winning in Maine. How does How is consumer getting less friction? You know, a couple of things I, I would point out, you know, right now, if you ask, it, it was staggering. We actually talked to the, the medical association here and they've been polling new, you know, people that are graduating from, med school and other things and asking them where they are. And at this point, there's a staggering number that would prefer to have a single payer system to the current system. The, the provider burnout, the provider dissatisfaction is huge. And so isn't the patient. So a really good example is, and you had mentioned at the top, we are, are the state of Maine themselves, their employees have partnered for two years now with Carum Health which is a center of excellence program, which you know, Rand has done a study of them, what they're finding in these centers of excellence is there are remarkable differences in outcomes, cost, and patient experience. The, you know, they're finding you know, 30, about 25% of the time for joint replacements, they don't need to be done. For spinal procedures, it's more like 50% of the time. Patient satisfaction scores and net promoter scores are in the high 90s, Amazon's in the 70s. A lot of the BUCA plans that that their their satisfaction scores are single digits. It's a much better patient experience. It's a much better provider experience. Um, and you're right. This this quality piece that that what Carum does is they will go in and they will not only certify that the center itself, the hospital itself, is a center of excellence. They actually go down to the surgeon level and they will find within hospitals. Again, you mentioned at the top orthopedics. They'll actually find in hospitals, you know, there may be a staff of eight orthopedic surgeons. There may be four of them that are outstanding, but there's also four of them that they won't put in their center of excellence program because they just aren't, they aren't at the top of their game. So it, it's a much better quality. It's a much better care experience. And the savings are about 45% according to RAND per procedure. So it is a you know, a win-win-win for all of the players in the mix that matter. Let's talk about the physicians. I know you're not on that side of the uh, equation, but you talked to enough of them. Are the physicians also winning when they now have this more efficient, less bloated uh, way of performing care? Well, I think, you know, I think at the top, you talked about advanced primary care or some of these new primary care models. And certainly we have talked to the physician burnout is real. I mean, I've got many friends that are primary care docs and they, 
they claim they would never go back into health system medicine again. It's not a great experience. They don't get time to spend with patients. They have quotas of how many procedures and referrals. It's all about the volume, as you said at the top. If you talk to providers that are working under sort of the new payment models where they're on-site, near-site clinics, the patients actually make appointments and they're on time, um, satisfaction levels are much higher. So yes, physicians are really, physicians have been forced into corporate medicine, meaning they're owned by health systems. And the ones we have talked to are not very happy with that, that evolution, if you will, over the last decade. Um, they would really like to, a different model of delivering care. So that is also exciting. When you have a system by which the patients aren't happy, the payers aren't happy, the providers aren't happy, and you look at who, who are happy with the status quo, when you have those three major segments, the payers, the patients, and the providers not being happy, you have a broken system. Yeah. yeah. Well, you've spoken about outcomes. You've spoken about cost. Let's add, throw the last one in here. Do you have any stories, Peter, of the communities winning in some of the townships and some of the employment centers of Maine, where the dividend is now spent to help either charity or to help uh, a bigger spend in the community or uh, anything really that is measurable? You know, I, I mean, a real good example, and this goes back to the the, the heritage of our entity, which has really been around 30 years. And I, and I guess the real story that you can point to where the collective voice of purchasers can make a difference. And, and again, this entity has been around 30 years and we started a while ago. You know, the mission really was how could purchasers work to improve the quality, access, and affordability of healthcare? And one of the things we recognized in our state at that point in time, LeapFrog had just started. They rate patient safety of hospitals on letter grades, A to F. Um, when it started in Maine, we had some of the most unsafe hospitals in the country. And we had a bunch of purchasers came together and actually the state of Maine and then the entity I was at, which was a local supermarket chain, we decided that we would waive deductibles and co-pays and member cost share if they actually went to the hospitals that had the highest patient safety grades. And in a period of a decade, a little more than a decade, Maine has gone from that to having the safest hospitals in the country. Actually, Maine just got an award. The governor just accepted an award. Maine's had the safest hospitals for the past decade in the country. That's a place where focusing on the right things, patient safety, um, has lifted the, the boat. So everybody that goes to get care in Maine is having a better experience than, than they would have had if, if that action hadn't taken place. That's a great example. Another great example is, again, we've been asking our hospitals here. When I was in my former role, we had had a hip replacement in the state that had cost us over a million dollars. We were self-insured. We didn't have stop loss. We started, and it, and it failed because I say three things, that, that the mantra that we use, it's sort of like Nike, just do it. But the mantra we had is make sure you get the right care at the right place, at the right price, because about 40% of the time, you're not getting the right diagnosis when you, when you start out the gate. You, so there's misdiagnosis, which is about 40% of the time. Leapfrog, which I just mentioned, if the hospitals are rated A to F, if you go to a hospital rated C or lower, you have an 88% higher chance of a fatality by going to that hospital for any reason. So, you know, getting the right diagnosis is important. We found in our, in our, going back to the right diagnosis for cancer care, we put a second opinion program with Dana-Farber 
90% of the time, the local diagnosis of cancer was wrong. It was either about a third of the time, it was the wrong stage or type of cancer. About two thirds of the time, it wasn't the optimal therapy. So you, you think about the, the consequence to the patient of not getting those two things right. Um, and then the price in our marketplace, the price of healthcare varies you know, sevenfold. I mean, you can pay $300 for MRI or you can pay $3,000 for an MRI. So, you know, right care, right place um, really, really can make a difference. We asked our hospitals here if they would go to a bundled price. They didn't. I traveled and went to, you know, spend some time in Europe. We put benefit design in place about 15 years ago. Um, where in Singapore, you could get a hip or knee replaced for $10,000. It would be warrantied for a year. We put a benefit design in place saying, hey, we'll pay 100% for you and a significant other to go. The minute we did that, we got a call from hospitals in Maine saying, we'll do the same thing. The same thing happened with Carum Health that I talked about. We asked our hospitals to participate with Carum Health. They didn't. There was a hospital, New England Baptist in the Massachusetts market that did. And right after that, we had hospitals step forward and said, yes, we, we do now want to participate. So those are examples of where you can move the market by, by using your, your purchasing power to really, instead of, you know, you said it at the very top, instead of being market takers, instead of being, you know, we're going we're gonna to take what, what the various stakeholders want to sell us, we're going to turn that around and say, this is what we want to buy going forward. That's a beautiful explanation. I want to be respectful of your time, and I think we need another show just to deconstruct and really tease apart your idea of the ideal plan. Like if you had a completely compliant employer and they said, we'll do whatever it takes, Peter, to get these costs right, do right by the employee, do right by the doctors, do right by the system and changing the world, what would that look like? And I don't know that we have time to do that today, but I, <laughs> it's a big subject, right? It is. And that 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 literally is the billion, billion, trillion dollar question, because that's what we're spending on health care. And we didn't get it right with the Accountable Care Act. Mm -hmm. Oh, that wasn't even about health care. Yeah, that was about how we spend. Well, look, this has been a remarkably important interview, and I appreciate your time. We are definitely going to schedule it again because we only got about half these questions out. I didn't even get into what a purchasing alliance does. And I know that's an important multidimensional question that most people don't understand. So that's I think another show another time. Yeah, I'd be glad to anytime. I you know, apologize for the sort of short session today, but we'd be glad. I'm get tons of time next week. So if that works, let me know. Sounds great, Peter. Thanks. The best way to reach you is which way on LinkedIn or social media? And what, what is the best way? Uh, probably just use, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, um, would be my, my work email, which is just phays at purseralliance.org. Great. And I'm going to fly your banner overhead. We always ask that question at the end. You already said it at the end. Get the right care at the right place at the right price. Yes. Yep. Yeah, that's it. Thank you, Peter. You have a great day. And I'm going to, I got to tell you, I bought a popover tray right after I scheduled you because I got excited about popovers again that I had at Acadia Park last time I was there. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. So I'll be making some tomorrow night with my girlfriend. Hey, you, sh you should come back. I, I don't know when the last time you were Maine, but our claim to fame now is we've got, you know, Portland became a food city. And we, I think we have more microbrews per capita now in Portland, Maine than any other place. So if that's you where we, yeah, that's where we flew into. So we got started there before we drove. And yeah. I'll also tell you that we know that for a fact because we sampled that. <laughs> so <laughs> we know. Yeah, it's a great little town. Well, there's, 
There's a lot more samples to be had. Okay, man. All right. Well, it was nice to visit with you and we'll get that other interview scheduled then. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Peter. Thank you for listening. You want to shake things up? There's two things you can do for us. One, go to primarycarecures.com for show notes and links to our guests. And number two, help us spotlight what's working in primary care by listening on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and subscribing and leave us a review. It helps our megaphone more than you know. Until next episode.